0: A Radio 191 FM podcast. Right now I'm joined by Dr. John O'Squire from the Department of Physics here at the University of Otago. Morena, to you. Hello. Thanks for having me. You are more than welcome. Welcome along. Uh, we're talking about uh, Physics uh, 170 at summer school uh, Sun, Earth, and the Universe. It's a, uh, a non advancing paper uh, with minimal math. <laughs>
1: that's right yeah so we basically just want to tell people about a lot of the exciting things that happen in the universe so it covers kind of some of the history of astronomy and then all the way through to sort of the latest things that we know today in kind of a very introductory sort of a way finding out about all the cool stuff all the cool stuff because
0: it is really cool and it's really interesting and this is a great kind of paper too if you're interested in that kind of stuff it's an easy gentle breeze and i guess i mean still be a bit of a workload no doubt
1: uh, yeah, it, we we like to make keep it interesting but relatively light, so that it's sort of fun for the summer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So
0: some of the things you're looking at, like Earth, uh, the sun and Earth's relationship to each other, it's a bit of a take tank relationship, I guess, on Earth's part. <laughs> other than the fact that we make it wobble a little bit, so maybe extraterrestrials will know where we are. Um, w- the the sun pretty much gives us everything, uh,
1: apart from maybe what we get from asteroids. Yep. Basically, it's it's pretty give on the part of the sun <laughs> yeah <laughs> not too much to take there uh yeah so i mean we we cover kind of the solar system how how this works orbits uh things like um you know how the how the ancients figured out that uh the earth's uh, relationship in the in the solar system and how they figured out the Earth was round and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: because we use... Yeah, because even not just the relationship... um, We know about the relationship between us, but uh, we use the sun a lot to figure things
1: out. Yeah, exactly. So I think a good example of that would be... So a big focus of the course is on how we know astronomical distances. Mm -hmm. So if you talking about uh you know you see a point of light in the star in this in the sky and you know that's a star but how do you know how far away that is so how we do that is we measure the distance to the sun using radar Mm -hmm. and then we know the distance to the sun and then we can watch the stars wobble ever so slightly in the sky and they wobble because the earth moves around the sun And because we know that distance, we can use that wobble to figure out how far away those other stars are. And then we can use those other stars to figure out how far away further things are. And then you use those to figure out how far away further things are. So now we have this kind of 3D map of the universe that's Mm -hmm. all built up from knowing kind of the solar system itself.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. And then you can, uh, after that, you can kind of figure out whether... Uh, with expansion or, or um, contraction, how um, you know our stars moving away from us? How fast they're moving away, and we we can look at um, radiation for that, right? I mean, well,
1: uh, light, like redshift, blueshift. Right, exactly. So this was this was something that Edwin Hubble did. This is why, if if you guys have heard of Hubble, this is why he's so famous. It's because way back in the day, he used these. He he used this technique I was talking about before and he watched these stars uh, that vary so he knew how far away they are and then when he looked at really really far away ones he noticed that they were uh, so called red shifted which tells you that they're moving away from us really fast and he found that uh, stars that were further away were moving away faster mm-hmm. and so this tells you that the entire universe is expanding and so this is sort of some of the best evidence that we have for the big bang and all cosmology.
0: Yeah, because they had to come from one point, right? Exactly. You, you've got to have a start off before, before you, you expand, uh, before, before you take off. Um, but I mean, so we know that, but how, how how can
1: we really know how big it is? How do we know how big it is? So... The we know exactly how old it is through kind of a crazy thing. Um, so we know the age of the universe incredibly exactly because, basically, three hundred and seventy-nine thousand years ago. Uh, sorry, three hundred and seventy-nine thousand years after the Big Bang, the universe had cooled enough so that the radiation could suddenly escape the matter. Before that, it was trapped in the matter. Yeah. After that, it escaped, and we can see this escape in this thing called the cosmic microwave background. Mm-hmm. And the cosmic microwave background got stretched, so it got basically Doppler shifted, uh, red shifted out, and now we can see it in the sky, and we've mapped it incredibly precisely. And because we know exactly how old the cosmic wave, cosmic microwave background is, and we know exactly how long after. The universe was created, the cosmic microwave background was released. We know exactly the age of the universe. So, this tells you exactly how much it's expanded.
0: That's amazing. So, exactly, it means like within a billion years? No, no, within sort of (laughs) a few years. Wow. I mean,
1: you know. Not a few, maybe, but thousands or something.
0: That's pretty incredible. Um, (laughs) It's amazing evidence, even though some people don't listen to it. Um, But, yeah, and so that's cosmology. So how much are we looking into cosmology on this paper?
1: Yeah, so there'll be uh, sort of a few lectures on cosmology towards the end. So the general uh, sort of scope of the paper, we start out with a bunch of history stuff. There's a lot of kind of cool... um, ancient astronomy and then moving through like uh galileo kepler sort of that kind of thing the the dawn of modern astronomy Mm -hmm. and then after that we go into sort of astronomy as we know it today and that would be about two-thirds of the course so stars how they're born um how they die which is pretty cool big explosions Mm um planets uh the sun our solar system and then Crazy things like black holes and neutron stars, and then the last part is on cosmology, and then finally we talk about e t for a while, extraterrestrials and whether there 's life out there or not, so really cover everything i mean what are the, you know have we someone 's calculated the chance of life right uh, this is very difficult to do. Uh, we try. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we try, and it, it's there's this equation called the Drake equation, which normally tries to predict it. But there's some numbers in there that we have absolutely no idea about. <laughs> so until we f- actually see it, we really don't know. But there's been a big um, kind of revolution in this area in the last twenty or so years because we found planets around other stars. And yep. this was the two thousand Nobel Prize, two thousand nineteen Nobel Prize in Physics. So this year um, was for yeah finding planets around other stars and now we know that there's um basically a planet per star in the galaxy so there's you know 200 billion planets in our galaxy it doesn't seem so crazy anymore that there might be some life out there
0: yeah that's just our galaxy
1: that's just our (laughs) galaxy right and then there's (laughs) then you've got billions of other galaxies so um yeah we now know of More than 4,000 planets around Mm. other stars, and we know of whole planetary systems. We know of of systems with at least seven planets. Yeah. So things the size of our solar system. Um, We know of some planets that look pretty similar to Earth. So, yeah, we still don't know of life, but it's looking more likely.
0: Yeah. And I mean, I always found it interesting that we assumed that. aliens had to live on something within the Goldilocks range, had to, you know, um, had to have water. I mean, because that's what we, you know, the things that we use for life um, might not necessarily be the
1: things that other creatures do, but we assume they must be. Well, there's very good arguments that they have to be. Um, It's vaguely possible to come up with some ideas for how life might exist without water, but... If you look at i mean people study this for their whole careers, they look at you know complicated chemistry of different mm. things that might be similar to water uh, and that it becomes really difficult to figure out how it might work and on top of that there 's another problem which is that stars produce lots of different elements yeah. in in their cores and they actually produce a lot of carbon and oxygen, and then there 's a lot of hydrogen floating around so the stuff we are made of are actually very common elements in the universe and yeah. if you wanted to make it from sort of weirder stuff you'd have to have a a really weird, weird sun. <laughs> sun system everything would have to be bizarre so it's actually most likely that sort of the very basic building blocks are similar to us yeah yeah um but you know because of the vast distances we you know if if it's not a cosmic neighbor we might never know yeah that's true uh, it's it's very difficult to figure out how you should find this. There's actually this, there's a, a, a big search going on called SETI, S-E-T-I, Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence, and they look at radio transmissions from nearby systems and try and figure out whether there's anything that doesn't look natural in there. Um, we've also sent out our own transmissions to sell, say hello to the aliens, mm-hmm. um, but obviously no like yet <laughs> yeah and of course there's a classic uh, voyager yeah uh, that's right and the, yeah the record and the gold plate yeah so this is pretty cool they had a uh, a record which is it plays a bunch of beatles songs and other <laughs> <laughs> has some other inscriptions and things in case the aliens find voyager and voyager's now left our solar system as mm. well both of them so Maybe someday they'll get picked up by aliens.
0: That's amazing because they've gone right outside the sphere of the sun's influence now. Yeah, they
1: so they're in the interstellar medium, which is the stuff between stars, basically. Yeah. So I mean, it's what makes up most of our galaxy in terms of volume. And yeah. what it's going—we have no idea what it's going through right now. I mean, and it
0: was only well, a couple of years ago that we actually lost full signal, wasn't it?
1: Uh, well, I think some, we still some have some signal from it, but very, very little. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and. uh it, it was hard to tell that it left I think now we know that it left in 2012 but at the time it was a bit hard to say for sure that was happening because you just see a bunch of random signals and then they change over time Yeah. and then once you go back again you can look at it and see that well that looks like it le- left eventually there was a big change there that's amazing
0: uh, alright um, black holes and, and the like um, you know th- that's interesting because uh, uh, ha- we we 've recently been able to see them. I mean it was something that we we only had to kind of um, look at in theory and just assume they were they were there. I mean it was one of einstein's theories I think that led to the pinpointing of of uh black holes, but
1: now we can see them yeah i mean this is it's really one of the most amazing stories in physics and astronomy, I think, so they were basically a mathematical oddity of einstein 's theory for a long time. Uh, and then slowly they became more and more accepted. And then in 2015 there was this experiment called LIGO in the United States, and this is this incredibly sensitive detector, and um, it measures the distortions of space-time caused by these things called gravitational waves. So this is, imagine a wave propagating along the water, except this is actually through the fabric of space-time itself. And so when black holes collide, they release a lot of these gravitational waves and um in 2015 LIGO saw for the first time gravitational waves from a uh from two colliding black holes uh 5 billion years ago and um or maybe it was 3 and yeah we can we know their properties we know how how massive they were we know that they exist for yeah, sure yeah, yeah. and so it's uh, yeah it's just amazing this prediction and then on top of that very recently we've actually Seen the black hole at the centre of a galaxy called M87, and this is a, a different type of black hole. This one is more than a billion solar masses, so this really, really <laughs> supermassive black hole. <laughs> and we can see the the gas falling into it right on what's called the event horizon, which mm-hmm. is basically the size of the black hole. And this was a really difficult difficult observational effort that, that required a telescope basically the size of the Earth to. To actually see because you need such high resolution that's a big
0: telescope <laughs> that is a big that's telescope, a telescope. <laughs> so you know i mean and that's amazing you know learning about black holes because i guess there's so much more to know still there's so many more questions about them but at least we know
1: that they're there uh and you know we've got one in the middle of our galaxy we do yeah. and so this telescope that looked at the one in the middle of this other galaxy called m87 is also looking at the one in our galaxy which is called sagittarius a star and Sagittarius A star is smaller than the one in M eighty seven. It's only about a million or four million solar masses, um, and it, it's about the same size when we look at it in the sky. But it, it, apparently they're struggling to see it because it's varying too much in time. So <laughs> it's doing all sorts of crazy stuff, which yeah. is making it difficult. But that's also interesting. So. <laughs> is, it, is it also scary? <laughs> I don't think it's too scary. <laughs> it should be okay. <laughs> it's
0: a massive black hole. Yeah. Uh, and uh, just quickly um, from that, because I mean, some black holes are caused by the deaths of stars, um, but you're also looking at the, the beginning and the life of stars, um, how, how they form, um, what, they, what they're formed from. Um, so <laughs> that in the south is extremely interesting. And, you know, we see these beautiful um, clouds of gas you know, through telescopes, uh, Horsehead Nebula and all that kind of things and
1: and they're basically nurseries. Yeah exactly and they're some of the most amazing images that we have from mm. the night sky because it's these big clouds of gas and dust and um, they're slowly collapsing in on themselves because of gravity and when one bit of one cloud gets over dense it starts collapsing really fast it forms this big ball and as it falls in it heats up um, this ball, I mean, it heats up more and more and more as it collapses, eventually gets hot enough to start fusion, which mm-hmm. is what starts a sun working. And so that's called a protostar. It's basically the beginning of a star. And then as it does this, it also forms uh, basically a disk of dusty gas around this protostar. And this disk is where planets are formed. So from the disk, the dust all sticks together and enough of it sticks together to make planets and we now know that this works really well because there are lots of planets (laughs) there (laughs) are a lot of planets
0: (laughs) we're finding more and more every day it's amazing how um how that kind of took off you know they found the first one then the second one and then and bang they're finding them every day yeah
1: yeah so this is because of a couple of um space telescopes that have really revolutionized the field so the kepler space telescope has made enormous difference it found Two and a half thousand planets, all by itself, or something.
0: So. How many things is going to be named after Kepler? <laughs> He's
1: already got a belt. He's probably uh, got enough, doesn't he? Yeah, probably. <laughs> Give it to someone else. Probably. Um, yeah,
0: I, I guess it's everybody's dream to have something named after them. But I, and I guess that's a good thing about finding a lot of planets. There'll be a lot of
1: um places for names <laughs> to begin <laughs> to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Although they, they eventually do s- they start just being named, you know, re- uh, something or other. One B, yeah, two, three, seven, or something. Uh, all right well we've run out of time i did want to ask you about um solstice
0: some exploration um we're gonna have to go yeah sure <laughs> <laughs> but um but that in itself is interesting you know we're gonna go to mars you know that's what the next move but eventually you know do you think we will end up settling like you know um castito or,
1: or, or titan or anything like that i mean who knows it's it's very difficult. It would be basically impossible with current technology. Yeah, but <laughs> <That's> <laughs> maybe right. once we figure out how to settle on
0: Mars. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, good luck with that. Uh, well, thank you so much for coming in, Jonathan. Now, if people want to get inter- um, learn more about what this paper is about, you can go a- and how to how to um, join the paper, um, sign up for it. Go to forward slash summer school uh, All the summer school papers are up there as well. Um, it, they uh, there's a well done a lot of workload on this one but there's a lot of time
1: right how many how many yeah we, a week so we've got four lectures a week um yeah. and then a weekly lab and a weekly tutorial the lab is a few hours but there's not too much homework to do outside of that yeah so that's fantastic fair yeah. number of hours but it's mostly pretty fun and, yeah and not much math right yeah <laughs> <laughs> not
0: much math. uh Johnno, thank you so much for coming in it's been a pleasure
1: likewise thank you, uh, thank you.